Let's pray together. Oh God, you are the one we crown in our hearts today. Christ, our Lord, is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He's Lamb of God. He is our BFF. He's all of that. And so are you, Father, and Holy Spirit. So we come to a, a moment of teaching. May Scripture be clear. If there's a response we need to make, let that response be clear in our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder if you would agree with this sentence. I'm thinking you probably do. I'm just kind of thinking that everybody here will, will agree with this. Let me check it out with you. It takes guts. It takes guts to stand. See? It takes guts to stand up to the crowd. Yes or no? Huh? To say, hey, you, I'm not going there with you. Hey, I'm not doing it with you. I'm just saying no. So which part of the no don't you understand, the N or the O? It takes guts to stand up to the crowd in the dorm room, in the boardroom, in the bedroom. It takes guts to stand up to the crowd and be uncool. I like the way Andy Wilson puts it, best-selling author. He describes it this way, the power of the zeitgeist. You ever heard that word before? Put it on the screen, zeitgeist. What language do you suppose it is? Quick, German, you got it, to the head of the class. German, two words, geist means ghost. Spirit, zeit, it means time, spirit of the time, spirit of the ages. In other words, the prevailing spirit and mood of the culture. It takes guts to stand up to the zeitgeist, to the culture, to the crowd. Yeah, it does. To sit there when the crowd is on its feet, hands in the air and worship space that could feel a whole lot like a rumbling dance floor. Takes, takes guts to stand, in this case, sit. Takes guts to stand up to the crowd. When the waitress has taken everybody's order in the circle and now she's asking you orders for drinks. And what will you have, young man? Young lady, what will you have? Takes guts to stand up to the crowd. The power of the zeitgeist power of culture, power of the crowd. Andy Wilson, already, he's 30-something, tell you what, incredible, already critically acclaimed as a writer, bestseller, one of, one of his books, Death by Living. He wrote an op-ed piece in, of all places, Christianity Today, and I want to read to you a line or two from that uh, essay. Cows like to turn their backs to the wind. Did you know that? I didn't either. Cows like to turn their backs to the wind. At least all the cows I know do, slowly, awkwardly, eventually. All that beef will run parallel to the breeze. I love that line. All that beef will run parallel to the breeze. People aren't too different. 
We align ourselves safely into herds, comforted by the hot breath of others, breaking on the backs of our necks and ears. Then we huff and we puff and we blow at the fools, turned in the wrong direction. You nincompoop, do you understand? We're all looking this way. Why are you looking in the wind? What's your problem? And then he asked the question. I'll put his words on the screen for you. Is there anything more compelling to us than the heavy, synchronized breathing of a mob, especially when combined with cocked eyebrows of disdain and curled lips of disgust? This is the zeitgeist inside the church and out. And it will judge you until you conform or commune. This is cool shaming, and it will make you squirm and itch to turn your back to the wind to stand with all the other cows, end quote. Because let's face it, it takes guts to stand to the crowd, stand up to that crowd, and be uncool. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Put the title slide up right now. This little mini-series. We'll have four Sabbaths together, you and I. Mission Possible, called to be uncool. That's today's teaching. You don't need to worry about getting the study guide because it's in your worship bulletin, nothing to fail out. But every quote I'm going to quote, you have it now, and I know that you're going to want some of these. That's why it's in the bulletin for you. Those of you watching, by the way, www.pmchurch.tv. That's where you're going. You'll get the same collection of quotations. All right. We're going to, we're going to Luke 1. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. What's the page number? 688. Ah, you got it on your, your phone, your tablet. That's fine. Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. I'm in the NIV, New International Version. We'll pick it up in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to old man Zechariah. That's who the hymn is. Old man Zechariah, priest, very near retirement. He's, the angel is standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So Zechariah is standing in front of this, this thick, gold-woven tapestry between the holy place and the most holy place, and he's burning incense because all the worshipers are outside praying, and he's representing them. Verse 12, and when Zacharias saw the angel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Who wouldn't be? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, verse 14, and he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for, verse 15, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born, verse 16, and he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And finally, verse 17, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You are going to have a baby, and that baby will be granted... From Almighty God, a mission to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. Can you imagine? No, seriously. Can you imagine your folks, just before you were born, your folks get an angel, shows up in front of them, and he says, Hey, you're going to have a baby girl. You're going to have a baby boy, and I want you to know something. Almighty God has already called that girl, called that boy for his mission, mission possible. He's already called her to make ready this world for the return of the Messiah again. Can you imagine? 
how your folks would have responded? And let me ask you a question. Do you suppose they would ever have told you about it? Are you kidding? They would have told you every single day you're alive. Every single day, boy, boy, the angel came and told us, you have a mission. Girl, you have been called to prepare this world for the soon coming of Jesus. You have a mission. Oh, my. You grow up every, every stage of your pre-adolescent development, every stage beyond hearing, you were born for a mission. And sure enough, the baby, was, the baby was born, and it was a boy. And he does have a mission. In fact, I want you to catch the very last line in chapter 1. This is a long chapter. That's why we're not spending any time here. This is a long chapter. Look at verse 80. Okay, way at the back of the chapter now, verse 80. And the child, that would be John, little John, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly in Israel. Wow. Hey, I need to say a word to young parents and parents-to-be, okay? You're going to be a parent one day? Yep. I want to say a word to parents or young parents or parents-to-be. A century ago, these words are written about the John, the, the, the John baby. Here we go. I'll put it on the screen for you. You have all the quotes. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, received his early training from his parents. Ooh, does a mommy, does a daddy have a divine mission? Oh, boy, do you? He received his early training from his parents. The words of the angel to Zechariah had often been repeated to John by his God-fearing parents from his childhood. His mission had been kept before him, and he accepted the holy trust. Girl, I'm telling you, girl, you were born for a mission. Boy, listen to me. Don't forget this. You were born for a mission. You were made for a mission. What's my mission, Daddy? It's to help God get this planet ready for the return of the Messiah. That's your mission. Do you understand that? child. Mama, that baby's still in arms. I've heard a few already this morning. Still in arms. You can be whispering, little baby, little child, you go ahead and cry on because mama knows you have a mission for Jesus. He's going to use you to get the world ready for his return. Come on, little boy. Come on, grow up, but not too fast. Yeah. You say, ah, oh, but Pastor, please, not my baby. I mean, we're, we're, look, we're talking about my baby is not a little miracle baby like John. I mean, I just heard Gabriel tell Zachariah, your, your baby has the Holy Spirit before he even comes out. Can't be my baby. Oh, I beg to differ with you. Desire of Ages, put the words on the screen, please. Even the babe in its mother's arms may dwell as under the shadow of the Almighty through the faith of the praying. Give me that next word. Get, I didn't hear it. Give, uh, through the faith of the praying who? Mother. How many of you are going to be mothers someday? I'm looking into your faces and wondering, will it be you? Will it be you? Will it be you? How many of you are mothers now? How many of you are grandmothers now? Our little Ella just turned uh, two on Thursday. Oh, <clears throat> wish we could be out there in Salem to celebrate with her. No, but this is a praying mother. By the way, grandmothers can pray. Looking grandpas too. So where are we reading here? Even the babe in his mother's arms may dwell under the shadow of the Almighty through the faith of the praying mother. John the Baptist. Oh, I love this. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. We already got that part. 
Now read, if we as parents will live in communion with God, we too may expect the divine spirit to mold our little ones even from their earliest moment alive. Oh, mama, the only caveat here, there's only one little caveat. The only caveat is you must commune with God. That's what we just read. You must commune with God. You have to be talking to him. Papa, you have to be talking to him. You've got to be praying for that child. I know I'm preaching to the choir because you already do, but we've got some young parents still not parents yet. You, the moment that child is born, begin a life of prayer, communing with the eternal. <laughs> oh, so mama, stay close to God. Papa, please, that's my appeal to you. Stay close to God. This is the most critical time in history to be, re to be rearing a little tiny life for his, for her mission. <clears throat> verse verse uh, 8 again. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Have you ever wondered, because I have this week, have you ever wondered, at what age did John go into the wilderness? How old was he when he finally moved out into the wilderness? I want to share one little line for, with you. Here's, here's this line. Put it on the screen. The greater portion of John's life was spent in the wilderness. Now, we've got to do a little bit of arithmetic here. So John and Jesus are cousins, as you know, because Mary will end up, once she's pregnant, she ends up in cousin Elizabeth, who's great with child, you remember. So the babies are going to be born about four or five months apart, okay? John's going to be born first, then Jesus will come along. They're cousins. We know that Jesus died at 35-ish, okay? 35-ish is his age. John died a year and a half before Jesus, so we're going to say John is 33-ish, right? The ish is important, but we'll say 33. Now, the greater portion of the 33 you've spent in the wilderness would be 16, it's got to be 17 or 18 years, meaning John would be, when he moved out into the wilderness, 15 or 16 years of age. Could be mom and dad. They were aged. They died. And when they die, John is gone. Let's put it on the screen here, the, the whole quote now. The greater portion of John's life was spent in the wilderness. It was John's choice. I want you to catch this. It was John's choice to forego the enjoyments and luxuries of the city life for the stern discipline of the wilderness. Here, his surroundings were favorable to habits of simplicity and self-denial, self uninterrupted by the clamor of the world, the zeitgeist. He could hear, study the lessons of nature, of Revelation, so he had a few scrolls of the Old Testament, and of providence. God himself came down to train that young man, 15, 16 years of age. Wow. Here's the point. When you realize that, <clears throat> that your life purpose is bound up with the divine mission to prepare the world for the coming of Christ, you must take proactive steps yourself to align your life with that mission. Now, as long as you're one digit, your age is one digit, your parents are making that decision for you. Isn't that right? One digit, they're making the choices for you. But the moment you become two digits, Jesus turns 12, he's in the temple, and he says, this is for me, this is me. The moment you become two digits, and by the way, everybody here is pretty much two digits. The moment you hit the two digit, whether you're 15 or 25, 35, 45, 55, 75, 85, I don't care how old you are, the moment you hit two digits, you now 
have control over your life and aligning it to the high purpose of Almighty God. Isn't that something? You now take the initiative. You're a young adult on this campus. You're going through university. You got a great major. You have a career dream in mind. And God comes along to you and he says, girl, he says, boy, I want to tell you something about that career. That career is only to assist me in my mission to prepare a world for my soon coming. Do you understand that? You'll earn a living, but you're working for me. You'll earn a living, but you're working for me. Do you understand that? Are you 85? Same. You're retired. I still have a mission for you. Once you're in the two digits... You cooperate. You align. So here's the question. What are you doing right now to align your life with the mission of a soon-coming Christ? I know what your profession is. I'm looking at your faces. I know a whole lot of you. I know what your professions are. I'm not asking you what your profession is. I'm asking what are you doing now to align your life to the mission, the mission possible of a soon-coming Jesus? All right. We needed that little Luke 1 moment because it's the red letters of Jesus in Matthew 11 that we want to end with. So go to Matthew 11, the red letters of Jesus. Go back to Matthew 11. By the way, we will fast forward now from the little boy who eventually goes out into the wilderness till six months before he is beheaded. He's going to be beheaded in six months from the moment these words are spoken. Red letter words, Christ will speak them. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, you see, the disciples, John is a master. He has followers. They've come for a private audience with this Jesus. He's had time alone with them. He sent them back to his cousin in Herod's fortress dungeon. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus swirls around, pivots on his sandals, and turns to the masses. And he calls out to them. He began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. Everybody in that audience knew what a reed looks like because Jesus chooses the vegetation growing profusely along the very patch of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. There's a picture. Take a look. Everybody immediately saw what Jesus was asking. Did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed? As you can see from the picture, reeds are flimsy enough that they are unable to stand tall before a prevailing wind or even a breeze. Let the wind blow this way, the reed goes this way. Let the wind blow that way, the reed bends that way. A reed is always as fickle as the wind. And God knows the winds of the zeitgeist blow every which way. Andy Wilson again. Put them on the screen, please. Continues his essay. But for the rest of us, meaning those of us who want to stand with all the other cows in the herd, the single greatest factor in our decision-making is simple compliance. That's his underlining there. Compliance. We turn with the crowd because we want the awkwardness to stop. We want them all to stop looking at us like that. We want to feel the wind of opinion at our backs. How did otherwise intelligent people, he asks, go along with the Third Reich, the invasion of Poland, the extermination of the Jews? We may assume they were evil, brainwashed, or a bit of both, and in part were right. But, now, two questions. But when was the last time you hedged an opinion because of the hot breathing of those around you? 
Second question, when did you last choose your words more on the politics of a situation than on truth? He writes this line, the zeitgeist is a fickle master because the zeitgeist is us, end quote. What'd you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed fickling in the wind? Anybody who knows anything about the life of John the Baptist knows you could never call him a reed blowing in the wind. Yo, King Herod, you. Do you understand that you are committing adultery with your brother's wife and you will be lost unless you turn and repent and leave her? The thundering young prophet in the wilderness who speaks truth to power. He ends up in a dungeon of Herod's fortress six months from now, dead. It takes guts to stand up to the crowd, especially when you know the price of standing up, as everybody in this room knows. Wow. Speaking of sexual immorality and Herod, do you understand that sexual immorality is one of the strongest winds blowing through this culture's zeitgeist today? Heterosexual, homosexual, asexual, pansexual, transsexual, bisexual, it doesn't matter. The winds of immorality are no respecters of persons. And listen, listen, listen. If we turn to the prevailing zeitgeist of this culture to self-define or to define ourselves on the basis of its fickle blowing and constant change, we will remain as confused as we already are. How do we survive the stiff winds of this sexual morality or immorality zeitgeist? Here's a page you can tear right out of John's playbook. Put it on the screen for you. John distrusted his, own, distrusted his own power to withstand temptation. It's a good, good posture to have, by the way. Don't you think you're some, some big hero? You're not. None of us is. He distrusted his own power to withstand temptation, and therefore, he shrank from constant contact with sin. Would you circle those four words in your study guide? Constant contact with sin. Because in today's zeitgeist, so much of what appears on our little screens or our bigger screens, or our big screens, or on the silver screen. So much of what appears on our screens today through Netflix, through cyberspace, through Hollywood, through video gaming at three in the morning, through the music industry, so much of what appears on our screens today is the zeitgeist of sexual immorality. You know that. I just remind you. 
John distrusted his own power to withstand temptation, and he shrank from constant contact with sin, lest he should lose the sense of its exceeding sinfulness. So far as possible, he closed every avenue. Circle those three words, closed every avenue, because he finally figured out there's an off switch on this thing. That's the only way you can close the avenue. You can't help with what anybody else blares into your face, but you have an off switch. You just turn it off. You close the avenue. I can't afford to. I can't be des desensitized to the sexual immorality that is the zeitgeist of this age. I can't. He closed every avenue by which Satan could enter, yet he was still assailed by the tempter. It doesn't matter how many off switches you hit. Nobody's forgotten you, not the devil. <laughs> he remembers you. He remembers your address. But his spiritual, John's spiritual perceptions were clear. He had developed strength and decision of character. When you love God and loyalty to God begins to grow in your heart, radical loyalty, God will give the attendant strength you need to be able to turn it off. He will give you the ability to stand up because it takes guts to stand up to the crowd. God will give it to you. He had developed strength and decision of character, and through the aid of the Holy Spirit, he was able to detect Satan's approaches and to resist his power, end quote. Red letters again, Jesus speaking, verse 7, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, verse 8, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Verse 9, then what did you go out to see? I'm asking you, you tell me. A prophet? Ha, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Verse 10, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. A prophet? Oh, yes. And I tell you, and more than a prophet. Andy Wilson again on the screen. Prophets must be fearless, immune to the pressures of kings and crowds, aligned only with the breath of God. We are in need of prophets now. That would be you that we so desperately need in this place. We are in need of prophets now. Christians are scattered, but the world's wind is heavy and unified. Truth and ultimate glory may be in the hands of our Maker, but the keys of earthly shame are in the hands of the mob. Prophets must be immune to floggings on Facebook and Twitter. They must be fearless before friends and tenure committees and stadiums filled with the priests of Baal. The world is busy applying pressure on what the world calls, oh, these are just social issues, and Christians are busy caving left and right, trying to accept fresh cultural dogma simply so that they might be accepted. I don't know if you caught that last sentence. I'm going to repeat it. Trying to accept fresh cultural dogma simply so that we might be accepted. And guess what? Universities are among the most susceptible of all human institutions to seek to conform with the prevailing winds of the dominant zeitgeist. The pressure is huge on faculty. It is huge on students. Universities, more than hospitals, it's huge. The prevailing zeitgeist. Nobody wants to look different. Nobody wants to stand up. Nobody wants to be a campus that's kind of laughed at. Ah, it's just a little old Bible college. That's all it is. Nobody wants to, to live with that. So whatever they're doing, we're there. The pressure is enormous. Andy Wilson, 30-something, brilliant young mind. 
He's right. People ask, are there no more John the Baptist left? No prophets who would challenge the herd mentality of the prevailing zeitgeist? Oh, there are. I, I, I need to tell you, there are more young John the Baptist on this campus than you may realize at all. I met four of them just the other night. I was leaving, walking out of this church. Pastor, they follow me out. Pastor, we need to talk to you. About what? About what we're hearing. And what are you hearing? For the next 15 minutes, three young men and one young woman unburdened their hearts. I then told them, what you're sharing with me, you need to share with those who can do something about it. And we had prayer on the steps of this church. What'd you go out to see, huh? A reed fickling in the wind? Is that what you thought? No, I tell you, a prophet, and I say more than a prophet, for you and your friends, you and your friends have been raised up for a moment like this. I'm talking to you, Jesus says, more than a prophet. I'm calling you to be a movement of young for me at this time in history. You say, ah, oh, there's nothing here about a movement. Are you kidding? Look at, look, look at what, is, what is this, verse 14. Red letters, Jesus says, and if you're willing to accept it, John is the Elijah who was to come. Elijah? Is there something about an Elijah coming one day? Oh, yes, there is. Malachi, the last two lines of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, God says, I will send the prophet Elijah to you. John is that Elijah. But let me show you why John can't be the full fulfillment of this. I will send to you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord that comes. That great and dreadful day is the cataclysmic end to this human race. That's when I will send Elijah. Elijah can't be one human being. It's a movement. And what will this movement do? Look at verse 6. He will, the movement will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else, God says, I will come and strike the land with total destruction. John the Baptist was raised up for the Messiah's first coming. I will have a movement, a John the Baptist Elijah movement just before the Messiah's second coming. It'll take guts to stand up to the crowd, but I will have young men and middle-aged men and elderly men, young women, middle-aged women and elderly women. I will have a people who will stand up to the crowd and tell the truth about who I am as creator and redeemer of the human race. And the time is almost out. Come now to him. I will have a movement, and you are that movement. It takes guts to stand up to a crowd. Because have you noticed this? When you stand up, look, look. When you stand up, whoosh, there you are standing up. The moment you stand up, you stand out. You know what it feels like to stand out? Just ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hey, boys, how did it feel standing up? Just the three of you, everybody else on their faces before that image, and you three boys are standing up. What did that feel like? Talking about the hot breath of the mob. Yeah. And by the way, I just tell you about the world zeitgeist, these people that run the zeitgeist. They have one, one compelling mission 
Level anyone who stands up. You know why the world doesn't want you, stand, you standing up? Because when you stand up, it makes it clear they're not standing. The mission of the world is level. Cut them off at the feet. Just cut them off. Eliminate them. So that we're all flat. All of us flat. Nobody stands up on this planet. Lucifer says, nobody. It's my planet. Whew. Wow. Ah, which is why the zeitgeist of the world... The zeitgeist of the world beheaded John the Baptist. The zeitgeist of the world crucified the Lord Jesus because they had the courage to stand up, and so they were cut off at the knees and taken down. No, it takes, it takes guts to stand up to the crowd. But that's what Jesus is calling you to do today. I enter these words of His. I'll put it on the screen for you. If anyone desires to come after me, let him, let her deny herself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Let her take up her cross and come follow me. Stand up. Stand out for Christ. That's your, that's your mission. Should you choose to accept it? You were born for this. You were born for this moment. Don't blow your rendezvous with eternal destiny. Stand up and be counted for Christ. Don't worry about standing out. You will. The issue is standing up. Let us pray. Oh, God. We feel the hot breath on our necks and ears. We know which way the herd is pointed. But Holy Father, Grant us a generation that will turn around, face the wind, and stand up to the, to the crowd. The zeitgeist will cut us off at our legs if you so wish. But like John, they may leave us standing just long enough for the truth to be heard and known. Oh, give us the courage of John and the holy boldness of Christ our Lord, I pray. And while every head is bowed in prayer, I, I, I can't move to the Connect card. Didn't do this in first service, but I, I must ask, is there a young man is there a young woman in this space right now who would be willing to stand to your feet and by standing say only this, by the grace of Jesus my Lord, by His grace, I choose to stand up for Him here, there, Anywhere he and I go. If there's a young man here who would be willing to say, I'm going, on my, I'm going on the line right now, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet. If there's a young woman here who is willing to say, I, I am willing right now, I don't have to weigh this, I know the choice, and I make it right now, I'd like to invite you to quietly stand to your feet.
And I need to ask if there is a not-so-young man here and a not-so-young woman here that would also like to step up to the line and stand up by the grace of the Lord Jesus through His power and enabling spirit, I choose to stand for Him. I'd like to ask you to stand to your feet and say to all those who are sitting around you and to the witnessing universe, by your grace, by your grace, I too would stand. Oh, Father, we are all here. Such as we are, we give to you. Raise up a movement, Father, please, and give us the courage to be in that movement for Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.